The text for today is Matthew 6, verse 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, If you're a visitor here this morning, let me add my welcome to to that of Eric. I think we have some people from WEC uh, visiting this morning, so welcome to you guys. It's great to have you with us. Uh, We're in the middle at the moment of a series uh, on uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in the middle of that, in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've got uh, uh, today and, and next week, before we come to the end of that, uh, section of Jesus' teaching where he was uh, up on the mountain uh, teaching the people uh, and so uh, there's just this week and next week. Uh, someone said to me uh, earlier in the week, they said uh, something like, Carl, I just want to be on fire for God. I want my life to be consumed with following Uh, Jesus. I don't want to be distracted from that. I want to be on fire for God. Unfortunately, uh, at the time, I didn't have anything useful to say. I think I said some kind of, you know, some 
rather tepid and useless things. Uh, and yet, uh, as I began to prepare this sermon, I realised that really this passage, these words of Jesus, are directed precisely at that reality. Uh, I think for many of us, we, can, we, we kind of resonate with that desire that we want to be on fire for God, don't we? we? We want to be more passionate than we are. We know that where we are at the moment is not where we should be or, or it's not where we want to be. We want to love God. We want to follow Christ. We want to have this fellowship and, and communion with the Spirit and yet we just feel hemmed in. We feel ordinary and uninspired. So what do you do? Well, in many ways, Jesus is addressing that reality uh, in this passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, and, he, and he presents uh, three obstacles uh, and three remedies uh, to the passionate pursuit of God. Three obstacles to the passionate uh, pursuit of God uh, and three remedies. Well, the first obstacle uh, to the passionate pursuit of God is earthly treasure. In verse 19, Jesus says, Do not stir up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that people who trust and follow him shouldn't store up treasure on earth uh, for two reasons. The first reason is because it's really silly. Uh, if you, you store up things uh, in this earth, they decay, uh, they break, they get stolen. Uh, you can't deny how true that is, can you? Uh, you, buy, you might buy a new cardigan and the next day uh, it, gets, it gets caught on something, you know, and you pull a thread. Uh, maybe you don't buy cardigans, maybe you buy other things, I don't know. Uh, but, but isn't it true? You know, whatever it is that you buy, you, you, you set your sights on it, you hope that this thing will bring you great joy and you get it and invariably you destroy it. I remember someone once saying, you know, how true that is at Christmas. You know, you, you wait all these weeks as a child for Christmas Day and it comes and almost within a week, you know, the thing has, has broken uh, you know, it, it's, it's damaged, it's, it's no longer usable. You buy a new gadget, uh, you drop it, you spill coffee on it, you know, and hundreds of dollars goes down the drain. And Jesus says if you've treasured that as well, not just as the, the, the thing itself go down the drain, but your happiness and your satisfaction goes down the drain as well. Now Jesus isn't saying uh, when he says don't store up treasure on earth, he's not saying don't provide for the future, but he's saying as you do that, as you provide for the future, remember that everything that you're doing in this world, everything that you're storing in this world that you're providing for is just going to decay, break, get stolen and fall, fall apart. So don't treasure it. As you provide for the future, don't treasure what it is that you're doing. Provide for your family, provide for yourself, but store up your real treasure in heaven because that treasure lasts. So the first reason for not storing up treasure in heaven is because it's stupid, it's silly, things just fall apart. The second reason, and I think the more important reason uh, for storing up treasure in heaven is because, 
as Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is shapes where your heart is as well. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. He doesn't say that. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will end up. He says, what you amass, what you store up, will shape where your heart is. It comes across um, more clearly, I think, in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus says the same thing, but before that he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right, what Jesus is saying is sell your possessions, give to the poor, invest in the kingdom of God. Do that, invest in God's kingdom and that's where your heart will go. What you treasure shapes your heart. That's true, isn't it? Uh, that's true. If you think about that for a moment, you begin to realise how true that is. If you keep ploughing your, your efforts and your time and your thoughts into uh, the next holiday then that will end up being what you worship. If you treasure being glamorous or being cool, if that's where your labours go, if that's where your, all your efforts go, that's, that's what you end up treasuring. That's what, that's, that's what you end up sort of longing for. That's where your heart ends up. If the thing that you store up is, is success for your children, and you pour yourself into that, then your heart will be shaped by that. If the treasure that you store up in this world is enjoyment uh, and pleasure, then your heart will be shaped by that and more and more you'll be drawn into self-indulgence. But if, on the other hand, you invest in winning people for the kingdom of God, if you shape your life around Jesus, if you give to the poor because God has given you first so much, if you show mercy to others because God has shown you mercy, if you invest in the kingdom of God, your heart will be drawn more and more to the kingdom of God. Your heart will be drawn more and more to loving and following Jesus. Storing up treasure in heaven, in other words, is just another way of saying living for Jesus. That's what it means to store up treasure in heaven. It means to live for Jesus. And here it is, if you live for Jesus, your love for Jesus will grow. If that's where all your treasure is going, if your treasure is going to, into Jesus' kingdom, then that's what you're going to end up loving more and more. Do not store up treasure on earth, Jesus says, because it will pass away and because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's the first obstacle uh, to seeking and pursuing God, that first obstacle is earthly treasure and the remedy is to store up treasure in heaven. The second obstacle uh, and, and the second remedy follow closely on from that. The second obstacle to seeking and treasuring God is bad eyes. Uh, the second obstacle is bad eyes. Uh, in, actually, it was funny the other day uh, at Leaf. So on, we're reading the Beatitudes the person's going to feel terrible when they hear this. But we're reading the Beatitudes and someone said, blessed are the poor in sight. <laughs> Instead of poor in spirit. Uh, and it just conjured up this amazing image. And that's what Jesus is saying. I mean, not, not there, but here he's saying that 
one of the great obstacles uh, to, to following Jesus is bad eyes. What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't, he's not talking about glasses. In verse, Jesus, in verse 22, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The idea in Jesus' illustration is that the eyes are the thing that let uh, light into the body. Uh, I don't know if it has become a commercial reality, but a few years ago uh, some boffins were kind of experimenting with the idea of uh, putting light collectors on the roofs of office buildings and then capturing light and kind of transmitting it down optic fibres to light up the inside of buildings. Uh, I don't know if it's ever happened, uh, but... In a way, that's kind of what Jesus is picturing here. The, the eye is like the thing which captures light and funnels the light uh, down into your body. He's not making a scientific claim. Jesus is using the eye, this, this metaphor, as an illustration of a point. So what's the point? Well, according to Jesus, uh, the good eye is literally the single eye. right? So the, the good eye is the single eye, but in, in contrast, the bad eye... Uh, or, or literally the evil eye, uh, was a term used in Jesus' day to refer to selfishness and, and sort of stinginess. Uh, in verse 24, Jesus picks up on what he has in mind when he's sort of comparing this single eye versus the, the, the selfish eye. Verse 24, No one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus' warning, I think, here is kind of as subtle as it is devastating. He's not targeting people who choose to worship money, right? He's not, he's not targeting people who say, you know what, I'm not going to follow God, I'm going to just pursue what I want to do. That's, that's not who he's targeting, He's targeting people who try to serve both God and money, both God and themselves. The emphasis is on singleness of vision. A bad eye, a selfish eye, a stingy eye, is the eye which tries to serve both masters, it tries to serve God and money and ends up serving only money. The bad eye leads to inner darkness. In the language of the last section, it leads to a bad heart. A bad eye which tries to serve both masters, in the end, ends up serving uh, neither. In other words, the second great obstacle to seeking and treasuring God is divided vision. That's the point. The obstacle to serving God is this divided vision. If you try and keep one eye on Jesus and on anything else, anything else at all, whatever it is, if you try to keep one eye on Jesus and anything else, the results will be disastrous. You'll end up in darkness. You'll end up in kind of spiritual darkness, moral darkness. Have you ever had one of those conversations uh, where you find yourself always looking over the person's shoulder? I'm sure no one has ever, had, has ever had one of those conversations. The look away conversation, where you're kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
And what happens in those conversations? What happens is, is that you can't follow what the person is saying. They're talking to you, but you end up totally ignorant about what they're trying to say. And Jesus is saying it's the same. If you, if you kind of try and follow Jesus but you're always looking out over here, you end up in darkness, you end up in ignorance, in blindness. It doesn't work. Jesus is not here talking about good things versus bad things. He's talking about anything, even good things, which take our focus away from following Jesus. Uh, for some people, some of you guys at school say, uh, uh, and even maybe some of the older people here, I, I guess as well, you know, maybe your great desire is just to have, have some friends, have some really good friends. And there's nothing wrong with that, is there? Like, it's great to have friends. But if, if your desire for having friends kind of takes your focus away from following Jesus, then you end up in darkness, Jesus says. You end up losing the plot. I remember when I was, uh, when I was at uni, I tried to serve both God and ice hockey. I used to play ice hockey and I tried to serve them both. And it didn't work. It didn't work. You cannot serve both God and anything else. If you do, you end up in darkness. Well, the opposite of that divided vision is taking up Jesus' call to follow him. It is a singleness of vision fixed on Jesus, driven by him. I noted, I don't know how many people have read the bulletin, but I, I noted in there this morning the, the quote from J.C. Ryle that, uh, that John uh, sent around to a few people during the week. Uh, and it is such an amazing example of this singleness of vision. Ryle says... Be acquainted with Christ, he's talking in the context of sickness, be acquainted with Christ as ever you would have hope and comfort on the bed of sickness, be acquainted with Christ, seek Christ, apply to Christ. What Ryle is putting before people is fundamentally a Christ-centred singleness of vision. If you feed your heart with Jesus, if you feast on God's words in the Bible about Jesus, if you feed yourself with the word, God's words in the Old Testament that look forward to Jesus and are fulfilled in Jesus, if you feast on Jesus' words in the Gospels about himself or the words of Peter and Paul and John and the other New Testament writers about Jesus, if you feast on God's love uh, exhibited in the cross of Christ, if you meditate on the loveliness of Christ, if you spend time thanking him for what he's done, for his love and for his power and his mercy and kindness, if you spend time thanking the Father uh, for sending Jesus uh, to die for you, if you plead with the Spirit to share more of Christ with you if, you, if you do that, if you feed your heart with Christ, here is the promise that will shape your heart. Your love for Jesus will grow your love for the Father will grow. Your love for the Spirit will grow. If with a singleness of vision you fix your eyes on Jesus, the light within you will be bright indeed. That's what Jesus is saying. But if you try and fix your eyes on Jesus and anything else, 
the light will be darkness and the results will be disastrous. Well, that's the second uh, obstacle and the second uh, remedy. The first obstacle was earthly treasure and the second obstacle to uh, pursuing God was bad eyes. And the last obstacle to the passionate pursuit of God uh, is worry. The fact that this uh, section in verse 25 and on begins with therefore, therefore I tell you do not worry, the fact that it begins with a therefore suggests that it's connected with everything that's happened beforehand. Uh, And so I guess that raises the question, how is worry connected with everything else? How is that connected with seeking and treasuring God? I think uh, verses 31 to 33 help us kind of to come to grips with that. Jesus says in those verses, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What Jesus is saying is, Don't worry but seek the kingdom. In other words, there are, these things are, are kind of opposites. The alternative to worrying about things is to seek the kingdom. Or perhaps you could say it another way, one of the great obstacles to seeking the kingdom is worry. One of the great obstacles uh, to seeking the kingdom, to that, to that storing up treasure in heaven, to living with that single-eyed vision of Christ, one of the great obstacles to that is worry. There's something, I think, deeply profound about what Jesus is saying. Our tendency, I suppose, uh, is to think that our biggest obstacle is the p- pursuit of luxuries. And I think that's certainly a big element, isn't it? We've seen that in the first two obstacles, that that the pursuit of luxury is a, is a big problem. But Jesus is now saying something quite profound. It's not just the pursuit of luxuries which can be a problem, but even worry, you know, being overly concerned about necessities can also be an obstacle to pursuing Jesus. Isn't it true that, uh, that worry often causes spiritual paralysis, great spiritual paralysis? Uh, you know, if your mind is kind of taken up with all the time, where is uh, the bread going to come from this week? Where is the food going to come from this week? If your mind is consumed with that and worry over that, there is no time left to think about what it means to follow Jesus. If your mind is constantly consumed with how on earth am I going to fit in this week all the things that I need to do? How am I going to meet all the expectations that people have of me? How am I going to do that? If you're constantly consumed with worry about that, there is no time left to think, how am I going to follow Jesus? What does that mean to follow Jesus? Worry can be a cause of great spiritual paralysis. I think one of the most profound worries in our modern society, and this is not really a worry I don't think about necessity, But one of the most profound worries, I think, which keeps people from following Jesus is the worry that we won't be entertained, the worry that we'll be bored. 
Uh, if you challenge someone by saying, look, I'm, I'm not sure that those shows or that movie is a particularly, you know, maybe you should stay away from those things because they're not particularly edifying or if you challenge people about, you know, kind of Ill- illegally copying music and, and films and stuff like that, without, almost without fail, the single biggest concern that people have is, what will I do with myself? What, what will I do with my time? If I, if I give up those things, what will I do? In other words, the biggest obstacle to them following Jesus completely and wholeheartedly is their worry and their concern about being bored. But Jesus commands us not to worry, not just about entertainment, but about the necessities. He commands us not to worry and instead to seek the kingdom. But that's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard not to worry. Uh, We just seem almost pre-programmed to worry, I think. And so Jesus gives some solid encouragement and some good reasons not to worry. Uh, So if you're struggling with worry, if you're struggling trying not to worry, here is uh, some encouragement to trust God. Jesus gives us two reasons briefly to trust God. The first reason is in verse 26. And 27, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Jesus' point is pretty clear. We don't need to worry about where our food will come from. God feeds the rest of creation and we're more valuable than them, so why wouldn't he feed us? Jesus isn't saying you don't need to work hard you know, to provide for yourself and for your family but he's saying, what he is saying is you don't need to worry about it. So next time you're tempted to worry, here's the great remedy for that. Go outside and look at the birds. I have all these tiny little birds that come and eat the grass seed on my lawn out the front. And sometimes I stop and I look at them. And in the light of this passage, that's a great reminder, isn't it, not to worry. Next time you're tempted to worry, go outside and look at creation and remind yourself, if God provides for them, won't he provide for me? Well, Jesus gives another reason not to worry. The second illustration in verses tw- is in verses 28 to 30. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, the point is pretty clear, I think. We don't need to worry about clothes. We don't even need to worry about a necessity like that because God provides for the flowers and and the plants and and, and even for the grass, even for humble grass, which the birds are busy devouring their seed. God is busy uh, caring for them and, and dressing them, he says, in clothes more beautiful even than the king of Solomon, Solomon who was the richest king in the whole Bible. 
So next time you're tempted to worry, go for a walk and determine to look at every tree and every flower and everything that God has created and all the beauty that God has dressed it in and thank God for that and thank God that you can trust him to provide for you and to dress you as well. Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. The crux of it all comes in verse 22 and Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows what you need and he's willing to give it. Every day there is a battle waged uh, in your mind and your heart for your focus. Where is it going to be? Where is your focus going to be? Our sinful uh, nature and Satan and everything which stands against Jesus and against God, everything which stands against Jesus says to us, look at the obstacles, look at the problems, look at the difficulties, look at how hard it is, look at what isn't going to work. But into that reality Jesus says, don't focus on the obstacles, don't ignore them, but, but don't worry about them. Trust me. Into that reality, into your reality of life, Jesus says, trust me. Trust that I will provide, that I know what you need and that when you need it, you'll get it. At the end of the day, what Jesus is talking about is a battle over belief and trust. Will you believe Jesus? Will you believe that what he says about provision and about not needing to worry and about, about being able to follow him without concern. Will you believe Jesus or will you believe Satan's lies? Jesus says that people who worry are people of small faith, little faith. But Jesus calls us to a robust faith in him and in his Father. You might worry about all kinds of things, you might worry about where the food will come from. You might worry about uh, clothes for the kids. You might worry uh, about whether this week you're going to lose your job because of the economic downturn. But here's the truth that Jesus wants us to grasp wholeheartedly. Here is the truth. If you trust and follow Jesus, there's nothing that you need which God will not provide. We learnt that in Psalm 23 last year, didn't we? In Psalm 23, if Jesus is your shepherd, there's nothing which you need which you do not have. That doesn't mean that your life will be a bed of roses, that life will always be easy, but it does mean that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear any evil because God is with you and his rod and his staff, they comfort you. If you follow and trust Jesus, there is nothing that you need which you do not have a heart which believes that and trusts that is a heart which is freed up to delight and love Jesus Christ and his Father. A heart bound up with worry is a clouded heart and a distracted heart. There are three great obstacles to seeking and pursuing God. Earthly treasure bad eyes and worry and there is one great remedy trusting and following Jesus 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, by your grace, enable us to spend everything and to be spent for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom, which he is bringing to reality every day. Lord, our lives are so easily caught up in other things and we so easily store up treasure which just breaks and falls apart and yet, Lord, day after day we keep going back to the same old habits, storing up the same old useless treasure when we could store up things which will last beyond this life and into eternity, things whose glory will never fade Lord, we pray that you would help us to store up those kinds of things, that you would help us to live for the kingdom every day of our lives. Lord, help us to have that singleness of vision which is fixed on your majestic and glorious Son. Help us to feed our souls with him, with the delight uh, which comes from knowing him. And Lord, keep us from that paralysing worry and concern which distracts us and absorbs our focus. Give us, Lord, not small faith but great faith which trusts even in the midst of terrible adversity. Faith which trusts that you are a loving God and Jesus is a faithful King. Father, we ask all these things not for our own sake but so that Jesus' kingdom might be established more and more in us and through us to his glory. Amen.